It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website. Scott and Colin. I want to apologize. I have been busy as as a bee. Like those honeybees that buzz around and they're pretty busy all the time. Pollinating flowers. That's what I've been doing. I've been at work going crazy. So I apologize for the two weeks off. I apologize to Scott too because I know he's been ready to talk about some Asian boxing. Scott, how have you been? I've been wonderfully relaxed. The exact opposite of yourself. There's not been a lot to talk about, so wonderful, wonderful time spent just doing enjoyable things. See, it's good, though, because you needed a little break, because now that we're in the thick of May, it's about to get crazy. And we'll let you know about all the different fights that are happening very, very soon, as well as a lot of Japanese bouts that were just announced. But first, Scott, I wanted to touch on one quick fight, because... It, it was a fun one, and it was on the undercard of Canelo Alvarez, Billy Joe Saunders, Soto versus Takayama. Takayama stole the show, didn't he? He did. He's 38, and he looked like a 25-year-old. He was all action, all energy. It's Takayama that I guess um, I guess the little white fans have all known and loved for years. From the first bell to the last, he took a shot. He came back. He roared back with such energy. Um, it looked like he was going to be stopped in the first round, but somehow he was still pushing Soto back at the end until Lawrence Cole robbed us. Oh, it would have been a fantastic finish that bout. Yes, Lawrence Cole should not be a referee anymore. Um, I, I can think of many instances where he's been horrible. Uh, Salido Lomachenko let so many low blows go in in, in that fight, and now... Takayama, he stopped this fight way too early. Probably one of the worst stoppages I've ever seen in my life. But Takayama stole the show. He knew that this was the biggest crowd in U.S. history. Over 70,000 fans packed into AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas. And he did his best Muhammad Ali impression. He took lefts and rights, strong rights from Soto. He was a true champion, came into the Rocky song, which I really love. It pumped me up. Takayama knew that, hey, look at all these fans that are watching. Let me put on a show. Yeah, after what had been previous in the car as well, like Nagi Aguilera dive, jump out, whatever you want to call it, the sleeper between Kieran Conway and Solomon Suzuka, somebody, somebody had to put the foot down and make sure things and... Takayama did just that. Uh, Lawrence Coles put the party pooper, and then Takayama announced that this wouldn't be the end and that he was going to continue his career and probably the one great bit of news after the bout. Ooh, well, that's exciting. I would love to see him in, in one more big, big-time fight. Who do you think that would be against? I think it'd probably be against uh, Ken Shiro. I think they're going to look to get a big, huge Japan fight. Um Probably for maybe New Year's Eve or somewhere around late December. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only option that's left to him. I think it's a great option from Ken Shiro's point of view because he's going to be frozen out of the big fights unless he's entered the zone, which I don't think he's in a rush to do. It's, yeah, it's just one of those that just makes too much sense for it not to happen. So the amazing boy versus the lightning kid. Sounds like a comic book. Yeah, it sounds like a comic book. And it would be fantastic. I don't like the fact that they're freezing out Ken Shiro. But if we get Shiro, 
against Takayama, I'm, I'm all right with that. Wanted to talk about one more other fight, Scott. Sorry, you're going to say something there. If you get that, you get Soto versus um, Kaigushi. Winners unifying the new year. Can't complain too much. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, if the winner of that fought Shiro, make it happen, please. Um, one other fight that I wanted to mention that just happened before we get into these these fights that are coming up. A bout in Korea against Sung Hun Kim versus Yu Hoon Jo. It's not like this was a big title fight or anything. It was just very odd. Yeah, it was really, really odd. Um, so Korean boxing has a very bizarre two knockdown rule for all four-round bouts. And after about 48 seconds of this bout, Kim got knocked down. And then he got knocked down in the round. Unfortunately, the referee had ruled the first knockdown as a slip, um, even though reviews show it was clearly a punch. And given the second knockdown, Joe should have had the TKO one victory. As it turned out, the bout went on and they fought to a, a draw after four rounds. And for whatever reason, whatever genius is at the Korean boxing management, decided they'd review the bout. Um, I know turned the draw to make it into a no contest based on the referee's error. I can't help but think that if we saw more of this, we'd end up with a hell of a lot more no contests. Um, if it's a win either way, I could understand them reviewing it, but with it being a draw, it seemed like it would have made more sense to just leave it as a draw on the two records. And a two-round knockdown rule. Uh, that's that's not commonplace anywhere else, is that? It's not what I've heard of anywhere before this decision was made. So, yeah, it's certainly a very, very unique rule. Um, reviewing a four-round bout is also quite unique as well, so... Korean boxing just went out a little step further and make sure they get the right result or they don't get a result at all. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott and Colin, asianboxing.info is the website. All right, Scott, let's get to it. Now that we are in the middle of May, there are quite a few bouts coming our way. Where do you want to start off? I think we should probably start with tomorrow's uh, card from Cork and Holm which is headlined by Kazuto Takisako versus Riku Kunimoto in a Japanese middleweight title bout. Originally, this bout was meant to take place last May. Um, it's a mandatory for Takisako, and it's just been delayed and delayed due to COVID, injuries, and various other issues, which means that it's, it's now been two years since Kunimoto, a 24-year-old, I believe, last for his career has been on ice waiting for this bout. Two young guys, right? Both undefeated. Takasako has has one draw. But I, I know you don't think of middleweights being all that in, in Japan. I know we have Murata, who is a champ. But other than that, it, it's, it hasn't been the, the biggest weight class for Japanese fighters. Uh, but who do you think comes out on top in this one? Um, I think Takasaka comes out on top here. I think his experience and his power will play a difference. But he did look much smaller than Kunimoto. It's strange when we talk about Japanese middleweights. As you say, it's only really Murata that springs to mind. But the Japanese middleweight title has given us some absolute bandmans over the years. Uh, Hikaru Nishida's bouts with Tomohiro Ebisu. Brilliant. Akio Shibata's bouts with Makoto Fushigami. Um, Makoto Fushigami versus Carlos Linares. Dashi Yuba's bout with Carlos Linares. There's been some absolute 
thrillers. Um, Fushigami versus Sata, amazing bouts. And because the limitations of the guys involved, typically we do get some amazing wars because they're not quite good enough to sort of shine. Um, I think here we will get two very good guys. Kunimoto's a very good box puncher. Takisako's an absolute brutal puncher. We should get a really, really good belt here. Um, but yeah, typically Japanese middleweight title belts have been brilliant and really, really underrated fights. Now, a couple days later, you're still staying at Korokan Hall, and this time, these two fighters are fighting for a couple of welterweight titles. Ryota Toyoshima against Yuki Beppu. This belt can probably be one of the fight of the year contenders. Ryota Toyoshima won the RPBF title in January, beating Rigu Nagahama. Brilliant belt. He's really flawed, but really exciting. He lets his punches go. He relies on his chin a bit too much. Um, but exciting style. Yuki Beppu's best remembered for his December 2019 bout with Ryota Yada. Like we've had seven knockdowns. Um, Beppu was knocked down five or six times, kept getting up, managed to stop Yada, who was badly swollen. Sadly, Beppu hasn't fought in around 18 months. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he's like here, but the styles should, should genuinely gel, and we should end up with a, a nine or ten round war. I can't see it going the distance. The guys just hit too hard and are defensively too flawed for that to go um, the schedule. When you have unification fights, that's usually what happens. You get wars, and they're making it happen. Karakan Hall is going to be busy because a day after this fight, you get another barn burner. Satoshi Shimizu, Musashi Mori, and another unification type fight for two featherweight titles. Yeah, and this time it's Shimizu being the RPBF featherweight champion against Musashi Mori, the WBR Asia Pacific champion. Um, Shimizu, I think fans might remember him from the Olympics, maybe, for his bout with, I believe it was an Aziri on his Beck fighter. Um, very controversial. The guy kept going down, and the referee would score it. The result then got reviewed, and Shimitsu got the win. Since then, Shimitsu's been... He's been making a mark in the pros without really impressing. He is so stationary, so crude, so wide, so defensively poor, but hits like a hammer. Um, it's really surprising, too, because he's an Olympian. He's a two-time Olympian. He, one of the most accomplished uh, amateur boxers in Japanese history, and he can't box. Um, very, very, very freakish athlete, though. He stood 5'10". He's a featherweight, and he's a southpaw, so he's awkward as hell. Punched like a mule, but can't box. Mori, on the other hand, a brilliant boxer, a very smart fighter, a young guy. I think Mori needs to be favored here. I think he's too smart, too quick. But Shimitsu's always got that lights out power. And Mori has the best hair in all of Japanese boxing. And some of the best outfits, walkout outfits. He's a stylish dude. Stylish dude, yeah. Um, stylish dude, nice guy. Promoted by a former world champion. Um, maybe a bit too young to make a mark at the world level so far, but certainly gone in the right direction. Yeah, he has time. What, he's 20? He's 21. He has so much time. Shimizu, on the other hand, he's 35, so this might be a swan song. 
Yeah, it's a must-win for Shimitsu. Um, he should have accomplished more as a pro, and it's a real disappointment that he's never really clicked since 10 professional. He he's just so awkward. Maybe that that's what made him so hard to beat in the amateurs. He was just really awkward, big, tall guy, uh, especially for he- uh, featherweight, and on top of that, a southpaw. So it made him a tough out in the amateur ranks. It's just right now you can tell, at least at the pro level, he's just not the best boxer, like you said. But he his power has carried him this far, at least. Yeah, and I guess that actually makes him more exciting. You can see he's a flawed puncher. They're always fun to watch. The co-main event of this card, we get um, another title fight. OPBF Bantamweight title against... Kazuki Nakajima and Kai Chiba. Kazuki Nakajima is very, very, very similar to Satoshi Shimitsu. Um, crude as hell, punches like a mule, tall and rangy. Uh, Kai Chiba, on the other hand, probably the better boxer of the two, but he's a bit chinny. He, uh, after suffering his sole loss, he has looked a little bit unsure himself. He's not quite shown the same confidence he did earlier in his career. This has the potential to be really good, or the potential to be really bad. Um, depending on whether or not Chiba can take Nakajima's power. If Chiba can take it, then we are in for a treat. If not, Chiba's getting taken out early. The Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Scott, one more big fight that we have to announce. This not at Crockett Hall. I know Crockett Hall is a busy event center. It needs a little bit of a rest. Uh, Tomoki Kameda, his return... Finally, after all these uh, days that he has been inactive, we finally get Kometa back in the ring. And for me, it's exciting because he is one of my favorite fighters, not only because he's exciting, but because he speaks perfect Spanish. And I think you can make him into a star. The only problem is he, he just hasn't been fighting. Yeah, he was meant to fight in April last year before COVID. He was meant to fight earlier this month before a state of emergency due to COVID. Um, he has the tools to be a star. He has an eye-catching style, great personality. He speaks Spanish and Japanese perfectly well. He just doesn't have any power. And I think that's a major, major holdback with how good the sort of super bantamweights and featherweights are right now. You need that, that stopping power. Um, his bout against Hironori Miyaki, uh, which will be this coming weekend, just doesn't really do it for me. It looks like a an easy comeback, but he should be taking on better opponents than Miyaki. Um, it's just a really disappointing opponent. And then again, it is buried away on Ebma TV for those wanting to watch, and I'm not sure Ebma can be accessed outside of Japan, even with a VPN, so a little bit of disappointment there. Um, but still, it's great to see commuter back. Fingers crossed this leads to bigger and better fights, and it's not just a case that he wants to tread water for the next year or two. I agree with you. I'm disappointed because he's a former world champ. He's also fought recently in a world title fight against Ray Vargas. You need to continue to challenge yourself. And a guy like Miyake doesn't really challenge you. Now, I get it. You've been out of the ring for almost two years. But still, you could have fought someone of note with, with a bigger name. Yeah, especially when you consider Miyake was stopped um, last August by the debuting Kisuke Matsumoto. 
you think the game just got stopped by a debutant? What's that proving, really? Not a lot, Scott. I can tell you that. Not a lot. So as much as I like Tomoki and, and his great Spanish-speaking, Japanese-speaking boxer, puncher profile, it, it disappoints me that he's not in there against someone stronger. Hopefully in his next fight, he can get in there with some real competition. All right, Scott. We've covered everything going on this weekend, but there is a lot announced that's going to be coming up soon. Um, let's start off with Ito Hosokawa. This should be interesting. This should be excellent. Um, Masayuki Ito um, against Valentin Hosokawa. Style-wise, this should be really, really good. Um, Ito, we saw him uh, shine against Christopher Diaz in the US win the WBR. Uh, super featherweight title. Since then, he's not really shined. He lost to Jamal Herring um, about two years ago. He lost to Hironori Mishiro last year. He's in must-win territory with his career. Um, Valentin Hosokawa, on the other hand, is 40. He's aged, but he's aged like a really, really fine wine. He's probably better now than he's ever been. He's a really exciting, aggressive fighter. Very strong, very high work rate. Um, the style should gel. Um, yeah, this one we just promised a hell of a lot, and it'll take place on 3rd of July at Corican Hall. Back to Corican Hall, such a such a busy venue. I mean, can we give Corican Hall a little bit of a break? I feel like Corican Hall is me during the work week. It's been empty for the last few weeks. It's a disturbing emergency, and I was getting some makeup for. Make up for all the uh, council bouts it's had. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. It had a little bit of a rest. Um, let's let's go back to Crockett Hall five days later. Uh, Nakagaki versus Hanada for the Japanese Youth Super Flyweight title. This one read does have all the hallmarks of something very, very, very special. Ryutaro Nagagaki is 2-0-2. He was a brilliant amateur. Uh, very, very polished technician. In the amateurs, he showed very little punching power, but he is... He's resetting on his punches since turning professional. Ayumu Hanada, on the other hand, is just a little a little bit of a brilliant boxer puncher. He styled himself around Rikita, Ricardo Lopez. Uh, has a little bit of finito about him. The styles should gel. I think Nagagaki's the more polished, but Hanada's probably the heavy-handed. Um, unbeaten records on the line. Two young guys on the line. This is exactly what boxing needs. It needs unbeaten fighters facing off when they're young, challenging themselves. Um, together, they should make for an absolutely sensational contest. Um, it's just a shame we're not seeing these sorts of bouts around the world. And again, we're going to stay in Japan in Karakan Hall. Uh Akui versus Kuahara for the Japanese flyweight title. Uh, Siego Yuri Akwai, the heavy, heavy-handed uh, Japanese flyweight champion who has he has one of the weirdest records. You look at his record, and it's not that impressive as a puncher. He's got um, you know, double-digit knockouts, 10 knockout wins from 15. He's got about nine opening round knockouts from those ten knockouts, though. He's a faster. He's devastating. As bouts go longer, he does fall apart a little bit. Uh, Taku Kohara is one of the most talented young fighters in Japan. He's someone who's shown so much promise, such an exciting style. Um, 
he he's stepping up big time here. He's going to have a chin check for the first time. But I think Kawahara probably has the tools to overcome Akwai in what could be a very, very tough bout. And finally, Scott, a month later in August, uh, to the super bantamweight uh, level or the super bantamweight weight class, Gakuya Furuhashi, warrior, just been in a bunch of wars, going up against uh, Hanamori, who's only been in 10 fights. Yeah, Furuhashi, he won the title in a genuine fight that you contend against Yusuke Kuga back in January. He is one of those many, many, many warmongering super bantamweights. He doesn't know how to take a step backwards. He doesn't really understand how to defend himself. Very much an attack, 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 attack guy who just breaks opponents down, outworks them. He brought down Kuga. Um, as for Siego Hanamori, I've not seen too much of him. Uh, one of those ones that's very much under the radar. He and his team seem to know they're under the radar. They're not talking as if they're there to be bat. They know that they're being overlooked. Um, they came across as quietly confident of being a banana skin rather than treating it as if they are coming into a battle that they're really being given a chance to win. Um, interestingly, Siega Hanamori is a stable mate of Ryuchi Tamura, who fought uh, Furuhashi not too long ago and Furuhashi was retread really down play Hanamori a little bit saying that Fu, uh, saying that tomorrow was the better uh, super bantamweight in the gym uh, should be really good about that every single Furuhashi bout is exciting he fights in a way that just guarantees excitement and Hanamori if he can match him using his energy his youth we're in for a treat Super Bantamweight has been on fire, Scott. Not only in Asia, but also just at the world level. And I know this is Asian boxing. We're going to step out of the vein for a little while because Super Bantamweight was on display under the spotlight on the world level, actually in Carson, California, close to where I live, where we got to see Luis Neri finally taken down. Probably one of... The, the biggest villains in Japan, public enemy number one, he was stopped. What do you think about that fight? I think it was a real disappointment. Really disappointing that Neri, you know, the weight, the weight bully, gave up so easily against Figueroa. <laughs> yep, what goes around comes around, doesn't it, Luis? I expected so much more. I didn't expect him to just sort of give up after round four. He was on his bike. He was running away. He didn't want to know. And um, I saw a lot of people on Twitter and on social media really not quite aware of how Figueroa fights, going, why is he not using his height? Why is he not using his reach? He's the bigger, heavier guy. He's going to take the fight to Neri. He's going to push him and bully him. He's going to do exactly what Neri's done for most of his career. Well done to Figueroa for fighting the perfect game plan. Also, his trainer, Joel Diaz, I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing right going in and you could hear him in the corner saying he's getting tired he's getting tired just keep on keep on doing what you're doing and hey that's what he did so so Neri tired out finally got him with the body shot Danny Roman also looked spectacular in that on that card so 122 is hot right now you have Stephen Fulton you have Danny Roman you have MJ uh, I can't wait till Naoya Inoue jumps up to 122. I know he still has some work to do at 118, 
But when he jumps up there, there's a lot of young talent at 122. Yeah, there's a lot of talent there as well. You've got Ray Salim and Hiroki Teshiguara, who are both 30. Angela Leo, Carlos Castro, Ronnie Rios. Um, Fuhashi, we just mentioned. Kazuki Nakajima has dipped his toes at the weight. It's just the best division in the spot right now. It's delivering fantastic action without getting a lot of without getting the attention it deserves. And Scott, you and I have talked about it, but boxing fans need to come and watch the lower weight classes because they're the ones delivering the fights right now. I mean, I say 140 and lower, that's where all the fireworks are happening. Um, they might not have the most popular names in the sport, but they're making the fights. They're unifying titles. I mean, heck, this weekend, we're getting undisputed at 140 with Taylor and Ramirez. And you saw what happened at 122. We've seen what's been going on at 115. Uh, 108 has been on fire. Uh, 118 uh, with Obali and Donaire is going to have a great matchup. So all these lower weight classes, that's where all the great fights are happening. Yeah, um, Corey Erdman put up a fantastic article on boxing team, I think, this week, where he was saying that the, um, the spot needs TV-friendly fights as opposed to fights for the future, as opposed to developmental fights. And 122 pounds, 108 pounds, 115 pounds, again, as TV-friendly fights. These should be the fights that fans you know, tune in for because they're going, they're going to be fun. They're not just going to be made so that someone gets a win on the record. They're being made to highlight how great this spot can be, and they deserve so, so much more attention. I cannot agree more. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Any other news that you have for us, Scott? We actually missed out on one of the bombs that was announced, um, which is it's Subasa Narai versus Kinosuke Kamida, the cousin of Tomoki, Koki, and Daiki Kamida. They'll be clashing early next month for a Japanese youth title at Featherweight. Um, Narai won Rookie of the Year earlier this year. Very exciting, very explosive talent. Kamida, on the other hand, has the Kamida name, and that's a big draw. Both guys can punch. Both guys look a little bit susceptible defensively, and that should be another barn burner um, come June 5th. A jam-packed schedule, Scott. A lot coming our way. I'm excited for all of it. I want to thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Follow us on Twitter at Asian Boxing and go to the website, asianboxing.info. It has the news. It has the videos. It has this podcast. It's all there right at your fingertips. Again, asianboxing.info. But until next time, enjoy the rest of your day and we will talk to you next week.